Welcome to the Broadway Church Leadership Podcast. My name is Paul and I will be your host. Thank you for joining us again this month where we are continuing our discussion around our next generation, how to equip our students to love Jesus well, how to uh, support them, come alongside them, and how to help them love God well and how to love them well. So we've been engaged in this discussion with Pastor Lewis, Pastor Emily, and Pastor Nathan, who serve as our next-gen team here at Broadway Church. So let's jump back into our discussion with them, and we're going to start with Pastor Nathan this month, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his call to ministry. So let's begin this month's Broadway Church Leadership Podcast. Guys, this has been really enriching so far, and uh, we're we're barely halfway through, not even halfway through. We're going to head over to Pastor Nathan now, and Pastor Nathan, uh, I've had the opportunity and the joy of working with you for for five years now, I guess, uh, almost, and you were our Polko Campus uh, youth pastor, and now you oversee youth ministries for the whole church. But I know that your journey to ministry was also quite unique and uh, not not linear, so uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your call to ministry and how you ended up uh, getting here? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I was born at a very young age. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. You don't I, have kids, but that's a good dad joke. Thank a you. Really good one. Thank you. Or a really old one, anyway. But I, uh, carry on. you know, at, in the last episode, Lewis mentioned that he mentioned the year 2002 when he started Youth Church, and I just thought I was five. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel old. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so I actually grew up going to Christian school. Uh, I went to Bible class every single day, and I don't know how I managed to do this, but I managed to convince my mom that because I was going to Bible class every day, I didn't need to go to church on Sundays. And so for some reason, she agreed with that. And so I really never went to church, but I knew the Bible really well. I went to Bible class every single day and I was like a good Christian kid, but I was never really involved in church that much. But it was actually at one of my lowest moments that um, the church really came alongside me uh, in a really powerful way. And so maybe when I was like in grade six uh, or grade five or six, my parents were going through a divorce and it was really tough on me just seeing that go down and just like my family fall apart. And there was a bunch of abuse and, and stuff that was involved in that. And just seeing like my dad, who at the time was the most important person in my life, like my hero, suddenly become somebody that I just couldn't even recognize anymore. And I just felt really lost and didn't know what to do. And I grew up in the States. And so every church down there is a mega church in the South. I grew up in Florida. And so our mm. church was a part like connected to our school. And, uh, and so after school, I was walking around and I went to the youth building. Yes, the youth building, mm-hmm. uh, the one of two youth buildings. And uh, I went in and I went upstairs to where the arcade was. And I walk in and there's nobody there. And I just start walking around trying to find some video games to play. And all of a sudden the youth pastor comes out of his office and he came over to me. And I really like, again, I never went to church. So I, I hadn't really talked to him very much, but he, he walked over to me and he's like, hey, you're Nathan, right? And I was just shocked that he would remember my name. I'd only really met him like one time. And we just started talking. And for the first time in a while, I felt like, an adult actually cared about me and an adult actually noticed me. And we just played pool for a bit and talked. And, and for him, it probably wasn't even that big of a deal. He probably didn't think anything big came out of that. But for me, it just like totally changed uh, the trajectory of my life. And I started coming back to youth group 
And again, all of the youth leaders and all of the youth pastors just they were the most awesome people to me and they just showed me that they cared about me so much. And, and I really, really looked up to them. And, and it was during that time that I had a radical encounter with Jesus and just felt like this, this change in my heart. And I felt like for once I had like a safe place or my home wasn't a safe place. My family wasn't a safe place, but for me, youth group was. And these youth pastors and these youth leaders just cared so much about somebody who I felt like I wasn't significant at all. And so I decided when I was like in grade eight that I was going to uh, become a youth pastor. I wanted to be able to be that person for somebody else who was in the same situation as me. I wanted to be that role model and that adult who cared. And so basically since I was in grade eight, I've had this kind of call on my life and that's where I've been pursuing. And I uh, started doing youth ministry when I was 17 years old. So I was like the same age as the students that I was reaching out to and uh, worked at a church for a couple of years and then got plugged into Broadway at the Poco campus. And I've been here for five years. Now I'm at the Vancouver campus. And, and it's just been so cool to see God being able to use me and my story to impact students who uh, were in a similar situation to me and being able to go out to uh, their sports games, their wrestling matches, their basketball games, and just being there and showing that you care and showing that they matter. Because I know how much of a difference that can make in a student's life. And maybe none of that happens if that youth pastor doesn't walk up to you and say, hey, you're Nathan, right? And acknowledges you and spends maybe what amounted to half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour with you yeah. hanging out. That was a turning point. I've heard you tell that story more than once. And so I know that that was a turning point. So what don't we know about interacting with teenagers in that setting? Like, what do we not value that we should? Obviously, that guy got it right. And maybe he didn't even know he was getting it right. But how can we be intentional now? What lesson can we learn from that that interaction you had? Yeah, I uh, and I always tell our youth leaders this when, uh, you know, we have youth nights every Friday and they're giving up their Friday night to be there. And I get that. And that's a, you know, after a long work week, you really want to come on a Friday night and like hang out with students all night when you could be at home and like relaxing. And, and so I get that it, it can become kind of like a slug just going week in and week out of youth ministry every single Friday. And, and, and I just always remind them, like, you never know. You never know what a student is going through. You never know what they need tonight. They might just be looking for one adult to show that they care. They might just be looking for one person to remember their name, uh, to walk up to them, to say hi. And one of our mottos at youth is just, we want every name to be known. Mm-hmm. When, when students walk away, you know, they may not have liked the sermon or the worship. They may not have talked during the small groups They may not have connected with a thousand people at youth, but we want them to walk away knowing at least one person knows my name because I know for me, that's, that's what changed my life. And, and so I think what we don't realize is the power that we have as, um, as adults to make such an impact on students' lives. A lot of us feel like I don't dress right. I don't know their language. I don't know the way that they talk. I don't know what their interests are. And I, like, I can't relate to them. And, and maybe that's true, but students aren't really looking for that. They're just looking to know that you care and they can spot a poser a mile away. But 
you showing up in their life and showing that they matter is what can make all the difference. Pastor Lewis. That story, and I've, I've heard it before too, but you just think about that youth pastor for a minute. He was probably sitting there doing like an expense report and he's like, oh, this <laughs> punk teenage yeah. kid with long hair and like a puka shell necklace walks <laughs> in, right? And, and he's like, oh, okay, I got to go talk to this guy. Like, <laughs> Got a big beard in grade eight or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it looks like Jesus. I didn't start wearing puka shell necklaces until college. Okay, oh. sorry, sorry, sorry. You're in Florida though. You're on the beach. Like, it, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't. It's not weird. No, it's not weird. I mean, it's weird, but it's not weird <laughs> contextually. But but, but, but uh, just think about that. He he took that moment and said, I'm going to choose this person over whatever thing I'm doing on my computer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to your point, Nathan, I think you don't have to be a youth leader to make that impact. If you're a congregation member of any congregation or, or uh, any staff, if you're over the age of 18, <laughs> this is for you. Again, my challenge to you would be, when you see something in someone or or maybe God's whispering to you to go s- say something to that young person or or you see something positive being done, go and say something. Mm-hmm. Go take the initiative. Go take that person out for coffee. Speak into their life because you can, you can be pouring into a future Nathan mm-hmm. who literally became a youth pastor over a game of pool. Right. It, now, Pastor Emily, is this dynamic the same when you're working with children? Like, mm-hmm. is it the same... Or is it not the same? It absolutely is. So I just found a photo the other day, and it was me at a kid's camp. It was called Island of the Sun, like spelled with S-O-N. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, that screams the 90s. Yeah, it screams. <laughs> and we were in tie-dye, so it does yeah. scream the 90s. Anyway, and in this picture is two pastors, two future pastors. It was uh, Simon Gao uh, and myself, and I think we were about— eight, I want to say. And oh. and there's also a volunteer in there that I still know to this day. Mm-hmm. And I just think, did, did that group of people know that there was two pastors in this group of people? Right. And so that's what I always think. And especially, especially the ones that are loud and boisterous and what, mm-hmm. you, you don't know. And so um, it starts when they're that young and we have the opportunity to... Um, to, to put them in the right the right direction, and we we don't know who is among us, um, and like we always say, like every child matters, and we don't know what their plan is, and so mm-hmm. we want to look at it is that we don't know we are just being obedient to God and um, yeah putting them off in the right direction. That's great, Pastor Nathan. I, I sent you a question when we were preparing for this, uh, and just thinking along the lines of you know like I, I have a I have a teenager right now, and and one of the biggest answers I get from her is I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, how how was your day? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. You know, get a lot of those type of questions. And so then sometimes you're not, I guess, uh, as equipped or you feel a little under-equipped to, to actually understand how your teenager is doing. What are the, some of the red flags you're looking for to see how our students are doing? Whether it's, uh, you know, w- with their mental health, which we talked about in the last episode, or maybe it's actually with their faith. Maybe there's a wandering from their faith. Like, what are some of the red flags you as a leader uh, are looking for when, you, when you're interacting with students, kind of gauging uh, if, if they're not doing well? Yeah, well, uh, when it comes to mental health, there's a, a few signs that you can kind of pick up on. You know, if you're talking about, are they cutting? Are they, you know, dealing with suicidal thoughts and that sort of thing? And um, one of the signs that we look for is um, sometimes students will show up with like bruises on their arms and they they can't really explain where they came from. Or a lot of times they're wearing like long sleeves 
in like the middle of summer and you're like, what are you doing? And oftentimes they're, they're trying to hide cuts or scars and that sort of thing. And so you can learn to kind of pick up on um, some of those things, just uh, behavioral uh, differences. If suddenly they're, they seem like a totally different person that is sometimes a red flag, sometimes it's not, maybe it's not even that big a deal, but you can uh, kind of uh, poke and prod and kind of see uh, how they're doing. And, uh, and if they just seem withdrawn or ju- they, their behavior just changed. But when it comes to specifically them struggling in areas of faith, uh, for me, when I've, and I've seen many students walk away from their faith. I've seen many students um, who were very involved, suddenly you don't see them anymore and you kind of wonder where they've been. Um, whenever I've seen that, it almost always starts with them not being as involved with church. When suddenly you don't have those strong Christian influences around you, it's so much easier to kind of fall off the bandwagon. Um, I don't know how much you guys know about trees. I did some research into forests and trees for a sermon one time. And, you know, you look at a big forest and it looks like it's just individual trees on the surface, but underneath the surface, the root system is all intertwined. It's all connected. And, uh, and trees can share nutrients with each other. So if one tree is struggling, they can all share nutrients to that one tree. It's a big ecosystem of trees within this forest. And I like to think of that as the church as well. Like on the surface, we look like individuals, but there's this underlying root system where we're there for each other. We're connecting with each other. We are keeping each other accountable. And, and when, when one person kind of starts to drift away from that and starts to walk away from that, it's just so much easier to, you know, when those storms come, when that, that rough season comes, that winter comes, that tree is going to die a lot easier. Um, but when you have that that group around you, uh, it really helps to withstand some of those uh, those struggles. And so whenever I've seen uh, a student really start to struggle with their faith, um, but then on the opposite side, when I've seen a, a student thrive in their faith, it always has to do with community. If they're struggling, oftentimes it's because they feel alone, they feel isolated, they maybe feel ashamed of sin or addictions that they're going through. And when they feel connected and they feel like they are growing in their faith, it's oftentimes because of the people they're surrounding themselves with. Uh, One person says that you are who you surround yourself with. Show me your five friends and I'll show you your future. Um, Especially in that time of being a teenager, you're still discovering who you are. Your, your identity is forming. It's such a key time uh, that you need people in your life supporting you and encouraging you. And the people you surround yourself with are going to be what's influencing you the most. So consistency and accountability, I feel like, are so, so important. Uh in uh, in children's ministry, describe that. Like I, I might default to think, oh, it's easier to figure out when a kid's not doing well because they're acting out or they're off in the corner by themselves or they're, you know, throwing their craft supplies on the floor. Is that like, is that a, am I, is that just a, a trope that I'm, I'm buying into or like, how does that work in kids ministry? I think it's, it can be easier, although sometimes children don't know what they're going through until later on. So I will say that if you've worked really hard with your child and coached them into talking about their feelings and giving them space and giving them um, uh, comfort so that they can be open, then you're going to know where your child is at easier. Um, but if you haven't done that, then you your child might be going through something, but they don't have the words or the language to use mm. it. Uh, and that's the same. And so that will continue. So um, that's something that if 
if as a child they have that, it is it is easier as they get older. Um, you're still going to run into those things just because of our lovely brain development. But that's how we're made, so that's that's part of it. Um, but uh, it definitely needs to start with having a safe space for children to be able to to talk things out and to be allowed to have feelings. Beautiful. I want to transition into talking about uh, the big, bad monster of social media when it comes to our teens and our kids. This is a battle that uh, feels like it continually is changing all the time. I uh, have, I've recently taken Instagram off my phone because I realize how much time I'm wasting on social media and I'm an old man. Yes, I'm actually an old man. You're a young old man. I'm actually sitting across in the room from a mirror, and I'm looking at that <laughs> guy, and yeah, the guy next to me is not so old, but I definitely am. So I had to take it off my phone because I felt like it was a time waster, but also that I felt like I, I think I was measuring myself against other things. I was measuring myself against other things, and I wonder how our young people are dealing with social media. Is this something that's overblown? We understand it's a media, right? Like it's a way of communication. It's a way of expression. It's a way of sharing who you are and what's going on in your life and maybe a picture of what you had for lunch and, you know, uh, silly things like that. But when we talk about social media, uh, we also hear these horror stories about um, how young people feel like they aren't measuring up to a false standard or even the standard of, of the kids in their classroom and they feel less than. Part of it is tied to a parent and their willingness to give their children a device to access social media at a certain age. All of these things. And as a parent of a 14-year-old and a 7-year-old, that is always a battle that I'm a wrestle, I'm wrestling with because I'm trying to figure what's appropriate at what age, how much freedom do you give? How much uh, accountability comes with that freedom? How much should I be checking in, checking up, things like that? Pastor Nathan, maybe you could start us off. Social media, am I, as a dad, am I, am I too worried about it? Am I not worried about it enough? What do you think? Yeah, I think that social media, I mean, it's not bad. It's not evil. But I think that adults and parents would be wise to recognize how much potential for danger it does have on a student. And, uh, you know, for me, like, I got a Facebook account when I was 13, but it wasn't what it is today. And Instagram was around when I was in high school, but it definitely wasn't the behemoth that it is now. And and when I look at my students now, I mean, they've grown up with this. And it, it it's not just a tool they use. It almost feels like a part of them. It's like a, having a third arm. Like, this is a part of their life. It is part of what forms their identity. You would be hard-pressed to find any student who isn't on Instagram, uh, who doesn't use any form of social media. And so social media has defined this new generation. And, you know, we could talk about, you know, how how much they're, using social media, their their time on it. We could talk about uh, the comparison that happens, which are all potential dangers. But one thing that I've noticed, just the way that social media is being used right now with this uh, Gen Z uh, generation is just seeing it as this medium to uh, spread social causes. Um, that's huge with our, our young people. They uh, they see social injustice and they want to they want to talk about it. They want to share about it. And while that's an amazing thing, that's great. What what I'm seeing a lot of is just this 
almost like tribalism of like, I'm, I'm posting this and if you disagree with me or if you don't repost this, then you're, you're against it and you're, you're evil. And I, um, yeah, I saw uh, one of my students post the other day, like, if you support this politician, then, uh, you know, you, you can just unfollow me and I want to block you because you're dead to me. And it's just, this is like a grade 11. And, uh, and so it's just such a huge part of that culture in their life where it suddenly becomes this us versus them. And uh, there's a lot of potential to just virtue signal. I'm just going to share it because it's easy and then people will get off my back about it. And a lot of students have a lot of opinions and a lot of uh, a voice on a lot of these issues. And a lot of them don't fully understand what exactly they're sharing. Um, and so I th- just think as parents, it's wise to kind of know that that's the culture that's happening uh, within this realm of social media and and just being able to ha- have conversations with s- students and like trying to connect with them and help them to realize that a lot of things are more nuanced and it's not as black and white as it might seem on social media and and to help them to understand a lot of the the stuff they're posting about instead of just checking it off the box just so I can get people off my back about all of these things. Lou, you've been pretty quiet over there. Do you want to add anything to this uh, social media uh, stream we're on? Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Um, to answer your question that you asked Nathan originally, um, I don't think you're worrying about social media enough with your children. You got to remember, if you're like me, I'm th- I'm 37, a young 37, by the way. Um, that's what my mom says anyways. Uh, I mean, I didn't grow up. I grew up with MSN Messenger. Mm-hmm. I was I was chatting with with my the girls that I liked on MSN Messenger, right? Like I didn't have a phone till after I... I graduated high school. Your child, if they have a phone, they are one click away from pornography. Think about that for a second. They're one click away from pornography. They're one click away from, they're, they're, they're one message away from bullying at any time, at any place in their life. It's a pressure that we don't even understand it in those developmental years. So as a parent, Again, my, my kids are eight and six, so I'm not at this level yet. So, so maybe your kid is like 15, you're like, Lewis, you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and you could actually say that, Paul, if, if you disagree with this. But as a parent, you need to be on the ball with blockers, you know, uh, on your ho- at your house, like internet blocker type of thing. Um, you need to have full access to your child's phone, in my opinion, at any time, any place. That has to be an understanding um, that you have. The find your phone has to be on your child's phone at all times. That's just a no-brainer. Um, and again, how you go about that needs to be strategic because you need that. You don't want to come across if you if you don't have to as like, I'm putting all these rules and blah, blah, blah. It ha- like you need to develop that relationship with your child so you can talk through, here's why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to help you. But if you're letting, if you don't have internet blockers at your house, if you're not constantly checking up on what your child is watching, if you're, if you're allowing your child to have their phone in their room, you know, all night as they go to bed and all that, you are not caring about this mm-hmm. enough. So that would be my caution to you. You need to know what's going on because if you have no idea what's going on, that is a scary place to be as a parent. 
So as we end this episode of the Broadway Church Leadership Podcast, you might feel like we're ending kind of on a on a very serious note talking about the uh, the perils of social media, but take this as a reminder of how important the calling to be a parent is and how important it is and how reverently we should hold that responsibility of caring for our kids. Thanks so much again for joining us this month on the Broadway Church Leadership Podcast. A big thanks to Grant, our audio engineer, uh, who puts everything together and also wrote the cool jingle that you'll hear at the beginning and the end of the podcast. We do this because when it comes to leadership, that'll do, just won't do. See you next month on the Broadway Church Leadership Podcast. Podcast.